0: All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for reminding us that that is what we are family. All our ugly warts and the beauty that you behold in us, Father, you put there. Um, why we'll know in heaven, I suppose, Father, but uh, thank you for reminding us of the nature of a family, the unity that binds us all together, the grace, the love, the mercy. Father, thank you for allowing us to grow up in each other's presence, and thank you for your patience along the way. We do pray for those that can't be with us this evening due to uh, legitimate illness, and we pray for those that are still lost in this world. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this a reality for all of us. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. How's the noise back there? Billy? It's all right? Okay. All right. So here we are. The Lord is our confidence. Part nine. The spirit began very simply on Tuesday evening with the following thought up here on the board seeking the Lord. Uh, this is ultimately what we're doing this evening. Anytime we endeavor to read our own Bibles, to come to a message like this one, uh, even when we're um, out and about speaking and fellowshipping with other individuals Uh, it's nice to seek the Lord uh, in each and every circumstance of our lives but here's the point that came out on Tuesday evening it's the intentions of the heart that dictate whether or not we receive godly wisdom in other words you can't just read the Holy Bible uh, with a flippant attitude there has to be an intent there to learn uh, there has to be a humility present to give the, God the Holy Spirit something to work with. We know that God gives grace to the humble. Uh, it's how we seek the Lord that matters most. Go to Proverbs 2, verse 1. Proverbs 2, verse 1. Again, seeking the Lord, it's the intentions of the heart that dictate whether or not we receive godly wisdom. It's how we seek the Lord that matters most. proverbs 2 verse 1 reads my son if and we're going to carry this if just keep that if with you as we continue to read if you will receive my words and if you treasure my commandments within you and if you see how it keeps going right it's one sentence going make your ear attentive to wisdom incline your heart to understanding For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures. uh, And then verse five, if you do all of that, now we have the then statement. You see it? Then you will discern the fear of the Lord. And you see all the disclaimers before. That's a pretty long if statement, is it not? Yeah. If all these things then you will discern the fear of the lord in other words you will arrive at this very wealthy spiritually wealthy place called the fear of the lord and that's been one of the underlying themes now for uh, probably a good month or so then you will discern the fear of the lord and discover the knowledge of god in other words that's what you end up reaping you sow these things and you reap this thing okay and discover the knowledge of god for the lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding he stores up sound wisdom for the upright he is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and he preserves the way of his godly ones do you see the specificity there who is he doing these things for people who eagerly seek him, those who seek the Lord with the right attitude. He uh, preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. You start getting into the rhythm, if you would, you start understanding this is how God really works. He doesn't just throw out vapid commands at us. He doesn't just say, hey, do this thing. I really wish you would do this thing. He says, if you do this thing, then I will actually do these things for you. Verse 10, for wisdom will enter uh, your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil. And that's as far as I've gotten my notes. The point on the board again is seeking the Lord. It's the intentions of the heart that dictate whether or not we receive godly wisdom. It's how we seek the Lord that matters most. And that's what we just read in summary in Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 12. A little further on in the Proverbs 1 to 3 block of homework reading, and I hope, really hope from Sunday you did as Scott Grande did, in read proverbs one to three because that actually came from the pulpit uh, it was a wonderful opportunity for you uh, to get a nice big picture if you didn't do it well i guess shame on you a little further on in the proverbs one to three block of homework reading the spirit highlighted the following as well hold on a second <clears throat> You getting anything back there, bub? It threw you out. So you got to redo yours then. <clears throat> A little further on in the Proverbs one to three block of homework reading, the Spirit highlighted the following as well. We'll get to it. Go to Proverbs three verse eleven, while we correct this thing. Proverbs three verse eleven. You got to kill Libra office, DJ. Remember how I told you to kill it, right? Proverbs 3 verse 11 says, "My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, or loathe his reproof, for whom the Lord loves, he reproves." This is a very important point, my friends. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. How blessed is the man uh, who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Here's the point up on the board. Why would we ever reject discipline from God's authorities? Don't you want someone who loves you to to wake you up? In other words, why would we ever reject God's uh, God-given authority that disciplines us? Again, why would we ever reject discipline from God's authorities? Don't you want someone who loves you to wake you up? And that's what we just saw in Proverbs 3, 11 to 13. Think about it this way. Wisdom is knowing that God disciplines those he loves. That's a fact the Bible states that very clearly over and over uh... wisdom is knowing this thing that god disciplines those He loves so the flip side is that if you're not being disciplined when you're out of line what does that mean again if god disciplines those he loves what's the flip side in other words if you're never experiencing any kind of discipline what have you to say about that if God disciplines those he loves if God does special things for those who seek him including disciplining you what does it say about your life when you're never disciplined it's like the cruddy earthly father who's too lazy to put the effort into disciplining his children that's what that would be like and frankly what is that message if you're if you come across a cruddy father an earthly father that this doesn't do his job the message he's sending his kids is that he doesn't care and that's not love at all that's what we might call selfish dysfunction the message is i don't even care enough about you to discipline you because as the Bible says a good father disciplines those he loves disciplines his own his sons so one of the great messages in the Bible is that God cares enough about us loves us enough to straighten us out and it's one of the great failures that we can identify even in earthly fathers fathers that don't discipline their children are not doing their job that's a selfish, weak, pathetic way out. You have to discipline your children. That's a mandate. It's a primary mandate uh, in the Word of God. So, the message a poor father is sending his kids is that he doesn't care. And that's not love at all, that's selfish dysfunction. I've said this a bazillion times. Those of you who are parents know that it's hard to be a good parent, especially nowadays. It's really hard to be a good parent. It's actually frowned upon to discipline your children biblically. Just ask Dr. Benjamin Spock, that idiot. Up here on the board, remember, good parenting is met with much more back pressure, persecution, and rejection, I should say rejection, not rejecting, than bad parenting is today. One of the ways that you know you're being a good parent nowadays is that there's all kinds of back pressure. Your kids come home from school, well, so-and-so, Sally and Jimmy, they don't get in trouble for doing this stuff. Yeah, I know, because their their parents are morons. They could care less about Jesus Christ. They could care less. They're lazy. They're slothful. They're self-absorbed. matter of fact, I saw them at McDonald's with Sally and Jimmy, and they spent all their time on their smartphone, not paying attention to their kids. Good parenting is met with much more back pressure, persecution, and rejection than bad parenting is today. Love is able to overcome all of it. So from a parent's perspective or from a child's perspective, from the sphere of parenting, if you would, love is the thing that overcomes all of this back pressure. It's hard to be a good parent. You have to be more tenacious than that little body that strolls in and out of your house you know after school with an attitude that it scraped up from the sewer pipe called the public uh, education system or even the private one for that matter i should just say the education system love is able to overcome all of it romans one thirty second timothy three two they are disobedient to parents it's one of the indicators of our society today the more and more we are fleeing away from jesus christ the more this kind of disobedience to parents becomes very obvious. Speaking of parenting, in particular, fathering, just remember, and this has come up a multitude of times, not something I necessarily start out uh, the week wanting to talk about, but this is the Spirit's message, so here we are. Uh, in particular, on the topic of fathering, just remember that a true shepherd loves this way, loves christ's sheep and i can't speak for other under shepherds but all i can tell you is that each one of you is special and unique to me every one of you and uh, it may not come across that way but that's not even what's important what's important is my heart before god and all i can tell you is i'm not lying when i say that i don't have permission specifically this evening to say much more on this what we'll call a sensitive topic but some of you uh, may have read this book up here on the board. A shepherd look or Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23 by W. Philip Keller. Uh, I would recommend maybe a reread. It's very small. Uh, if you can't afford it, I'll buy one for you. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure it's probably cheap on a Kindle. Most of these books are, uh, if you've got a Kindle. But the book itself, or I can lend it to you. I might even have a spare in the back. But it's a really good read. It's a short read, but it's a nice reminder about a shepherd's viewpoint over the flock. And just as a little disclaimer, whenever I recommend a book, uh, remember all that I taught about. Read your Bible first, and then if there's any extra time, then maybe read a book. Uh, My disclaimer is I haven't read this book in a while, so read it with caution. Uh, If you do decide to read the book, Please just ensure that if anything doesn't, you know, jive or doesn't make sense, just keep on reading and try to gather the general theme of a shepherd's heart. That's all I'm trying to say here. So there's a reason why God turns our attention to shepherds this way. And there's a reason why the Bible says imitate their faith. This has been coming from the pulpit. Imitate their faith. It's because fundamentally... Shepherds live for others. Unlike most of you, it's our vocation. The closest thing I can think about, and I don't mean to upset anybody else that doesn't have this kind of a job, is maybe the medical field. Uh, anybody in the medical field, their vocation really is living for others. Although I'm sure there's some people in it, like I went to school with, that said, I'm in it for the money. Oh my gosh. That's a wrong attitude. That's not the guy I want working on me. But nonetheless, our vocation, a shepherd's vocation, you know what we wake up and do every day, and our heart is fully involved in it, is to live for others. And that's why the Bible says imitate their faith. So please digest this. Shepherds live for others. Paul wrote about this. Go to 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. Paul wrote about this. Verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. Paul expresses this living for others. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Up here on the board, I'll give you a little uh greek here poured out from spendo kind of a play on words even means to pour out as a libation an example figuratively to devote one's life or blood as a sacrifice to spend be ready to be offered that's strong there poured out from spendo means to pour out as a libation figuratively to devote one's life or blood as a sacrifice to spend in other words yourself That was Paul's attitude as a shepherd. I'm already being poured out, spent as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. All I can tell you from a shepherd's perspective is every day is a fight. Every single day. It's our vocation. We wake up. It's our job. You see? We wake up looking for a fight. Not looking, but you know what I'm saying. Expecting a fight. It's, it's a war out there. Think of the worst possible. Go turn on the History Channel and, and, and turn on some you know, documentary of the world, one of the world wars and look at the ghastliness of it. It's beyond that. If you wake up as a soldier in that situation, you expect to be bombarded every day. You expect to be confronted, to be attacked, every day that is what it is like to be a shepherd especially with the uh inclusion of all of you of all the sheep because not only that we also diligently oversee you we watch the attacks hit you and we try to fight for you for your benefit i have fought the good fight he said i have finished the course i have kept the faith in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord the righteous judge will, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have uh, loved his appearing. So Paul was a shepherd and he lived for others. That is our vocation. That was his special commission while here on earth. That was his job, his vocation. Here's a final thought from Tuesday's message up here on the board. One of God's grace provisions. We are given shepherds to help us persevere when we're feeling weak. That's okay. I have no problem doing that. Matter of fact I love to encourage people. Love it. It gives me an opportunity to do something different than pull out the shepherd's rod. It's nice to pick up the staff and go, hey, how about you think about, you ever think about this, try about this, how about that? You're doing good, you know, you're doing well. Just think about five years ago where you were at, you know, uh, spiritually, emotionally even, and think about where you're at now. Um, a lot of times a shepherd can just be plain encouraging an objective viewpoint. So we are given shepherds to help us persevere, uh, particularly sometimes when we're feeling weak. And so think about that for a moment. If you're so weak, because this happens, if you're so weak that you say something like, I don't need God's grace in my life, I don't need to lean on my pastor ever, my response is simple you are dumber than you think, and mighty arrogant to boot. Listen, it's not about Ed Collins. You have a grace gift given to you god the holy spirit is the one who empowers this gift to your benefit this is for you i'm poured out for you i fight the good fight of faith for you so if you don't think you need a pastor you're really dumb and arrogant paul wrote to the corinthians about this and uh, my Estimation of American Christians nowadays is that we're just like the Corinthians, if you look around. Go to 1 Corinthians 3 18. Paul wrote about this. He was a shepherd. He wrote as a shepherd to the Corinthians who were pretty dysfunctional, just like most American Christians are. Doesn't mean that they were all, you know, unsaved or this or that. I'm sure there were some in the church that weren't. But he wrote to them out of love as a shepherd would to his sheep. 1 Corinthians 3.18, he wrote, Let no man deceive himself. Uh, this, we just came off a 75-part part series on the deceitfulness of sin. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. In other words, you've got to go low before God lifts you up. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. A lot of puffed up individuals out there that think, I don't need a pastor, I'll just read my own Bible. A lot of people like that. They're completely foregoing a grace gift from God. Why would you ever do that? That doesn't make them wise that says to me that's stupid if god says hey i got this wonderful grace gift i'm willing to give you and you go no thank you is that not stupid this is your creator saying this gift is for you for your benefit and you go no thank you that's stupid and arrogant and a lot of people do it a lot of people do it now stepping back now to see the big picture here What's the Spirit been getting at over this little nine-part series titled, The Lord is Our Confidence? I think by now it's safe to say that He's been trying, in a very practical way, to assure us of our faith, to exorcise any demonic doctrines that cause doubts in our souls, to rid us of any fear that causes strife among us, holding us in bondage to worldly thoughts and even emotions. All of this, frankly, is just another way of saying to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord. That's what he's been doing. Fearing the Lord in a healthy, biblical way has real benefits, not just wispy shadows of reality that seem to blow away at the first hint of real Life. I think there's a lot of that that goes on, probably even in this church. People come, they hear the Word of God being taught uh, with authority from a pulpit like this. They're convicted by it, and as soon as they step off the step out there, it's back to their old world. It's not real, you see. It's just something, it's like Paul said, a person that looks in the mirror and then turns away, they forget what they looked like under the scrutiny of the Word. They turn away, they go back to their real lives, or their so-called... Regular lives and the real benefits of understanding and fearing the Lord are lost right there at the doorstep If they even make it there because the accent for some like I just described the arrogance is so great They won't even come here because you know, they don't need this kind of teaching. They don't need this kind of exhortation They don't need this kind of encouragement. They don't need the rod or the staff You see this self-made men and women isn't that what America? uh strives to make in this world self-made men and women. Isn't that why we hold up, you know, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and all these other billionaires? Everybody wants to be like the next billionaire. Why? They're all atheists. Look around. Why would you want any why would you want that ever? But that's the game we all play. For example, as we noted when we finished our reading of Proverbs 1 to 3 go to Proverbs 3:24 Proverbs 3:24 what's the spirit getting at he's trying to assure us of our faith he's trying to build confidence in us but he's saying that has to be directed it has to be coming from somewhere you have to direct your attention to the Lord and from him you derive your confidence nowhere else Proverbs 3:24 when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. You see, fear of the Lord extinguishes ungodly fear. There's not enough room for both. You need to dwell on that. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence. And that is where we got our message titled. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught or snagged or tripped up, etc., depending on the translation. Now, when the Lord is our confidence, we are set free. And you can make that very practical right now in your own soul. What if, in a perfect world, you had 100% confidence in the Lord? Everything you read in the Holy Bible, you believed everything you read you abided in immediately imagine that kind of confidence you had no doubts no fears no anything but i'm just going to stick with the lord that's it you had the job attitude naked i came naked i go blessed be the name of the lord he gives he takes away whatever you want lord imagine having that what does that give you freedom you are no longer in bondage to any fear From the world. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. None of us get there. Or chances are very slim that we get there. When the Lord is our confidence, let me just check something. This just did you ask buck? Check it. When the Lord is our confidence, we are set free. Do you see it? Again, verse 26. For the Lord will be your confidence, and will keep your foot. From being caught. Again, when the Lord is our confidence, we are set free. The question on the table is Do you see what I'm talking about? Do you understand what the Spirit's trying to say this evening? How is He trying to direct your attention? If you want freedom, fear the Lord. If you want to douse all the fears and the doubts that you have, that you brought in here even this evening, as fresh on your mind as they are, fear the Lord direct your attention to the truth in the Word of God that is what sets you free free from what exactly I still don't have it DJ you gotta go through that whole protocol free from what exactly well as a general statement free from the bondage of the world too many Christians buy the lie that freedom, according to God, is being able to do whatever we want to do. I taught quite a few lessons on this not so long ago. I call it the perversion of grace. Too many Christians buy the lie that freedom, according to God, is being able to do whatever we want to do with the focus on we. And you know what that is? That is exactly the opposite Of obedience, that is the exact opposite of obedience. That's the perversion of grace that the Spirit keeps circling back to, regarding the of the regardless of the series we have been on. I got to find my here it is. Up here in the board, the perversion of grace. Grace is the means of salvation, and. Deliverance, that is fact number one. That's our foundation point, if you would. Grace is not accommodating to the human flesh the way many Christians would like to believe. In fact, grace provisions are offensive to the human flesh because they are exclusively God's to give. The flesh has no part in it. This is an old concept from a few months back the perversion of grace the deceitfulness of sin it was one of the main pillars in that series the deceitfulness of sin one of the easiest ways to be fooled by sin is to pervert grace so grace of course is the means of salvation deliverance salvation for unsaved deliverance for saved individuals it is not accommodating to the human flesh the way many christians would like to believe in fact grace provisions are offensive to the human flesh because they're exclusively God's to give. The flesh has no part in it. The point I'm making is that in order to be set free from worldly bondage, our faith, our trust must be in Christ. That's just another way of saying the Lord is our confidence. That's just another way of saying the Lord is our confidence, which is just yet another way of saying we fear the Lord which is yet just another way of saying our peace rests in him. I hope you see how all this dovetails together in the midst of all the attacks that I'm suffering right here and right now. You have no idea. Scott, did you get any of this? Yeah, of course not. Demons do not want this man standing behind his pulpit. That's all I can tell you. They must like you, Scott. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You have no idea. I have ADD. You know how hard this is? I got stuff popping up in my face saying... (sighs) So bear with me. Again, if we purchase a lie, this lie on the board, if we purchase a lie about God's grace, we compromise all of that. Everything I just mentioned that concluded with our peace resting in Him. There is no peace for someone who compromises grace, for someone who thinks grace is about accommodating and making their fleshly living, you know, the, you know the, 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 that whole thing out there, making that accommodating. If you think that's God's grace, you've got it backwards. That's the lie from the kingdom of darkness. If we purchase that lie about God's grace, we compromise all of it. So I need you to concentrate now. I want to make a connection in your soul here and now up here on the board. Very simply stated, if the Lord is your confidence, then you are not. That makes sense? If the Lord is your confidence, then you are not. Isn't that wonderful? That takes all the pressure off of you. Because the world does It's best to put all that pressure on you and say you're not measuring up. You need to work harder. You need to try harder. You need to go get more schooling. You need to go into debt. You need to go do this. You got to go to all these parties, you know, so that you can, uh, I don't know, have a better social life. You got to do this. You you know, you skip church to have a better social life. That seems to be going around nowadays as a little disease. Uh, You need to do all these little things because the pressure's on you. If you don't do all these things, then you won't have peace that's the great lie but if your confidence is in the lord then all that is for not it's not it's not in you you are not your confidence if the lord is your confidence then you are not remember that please when you surrender to the lord this way you are immediately delivered and saved from the bondage of worldly Thinking. And it's from this position of abiding in the sphere of God, a.k.a. the sphere of love, that you are able to understand and live a selfless existence. Let me say this again. If the Lord is your confidence, then you are not. When you surrender to the Lord this way, you are immediately delivered and saved from the bondage of worldly thinking. And it's from this position of abiding in the sphere of God, a.k.a. the sphere of love, that you are able to understand and live a selfless existence. A selfless existence. Hence, from our previous messages up here on the board, on the topic of this love, abiding in the sphere of love, Christian love looks like this, the hallmark, Of Christ-like love is selflessness. In every way, this remains true. In every interaction, it is the driving force. It lives for others. If you're your own, if if, if you're your confidence, you have no other choice but to live for yourself. You are today's primary objective because you have your, your confidence is derived from what you accomplish in your life. Not what God accomplishes in your life, what you accomplish in your life. As soon as you buy that lie, you are in bondage. And it's impossible impossible for you to be selfless and it deems you selfish by default. So the hallmark of Christ-like love is selflessness. I just lost it again. Are they streaming in the back? That's probably part of the problem. Remember we talked about that? alright let me see if I can change the slide you guys have no idea what I'm going through up here restart it again again the hallmark of Christ-like love is selflessness in every way this remains true in every interaction it is the driving force it lives for others and until you can look in the mirror honestly objectively examining your life and say that yes it's true I live for others. You need to give this serious thought. If you are the basis of your confidence in life, you need to give this serious thought. If you've purchased the lie, I know, I went through a public school system. I know what they taught us. I know what I grew up thinking that I had to be a self-made man, that I needed to prop up people like Bill Gates, who's an atheist, or in women's case. Oprah Winfrey, who denounces Jesus Christ. These are the people who are supposed to hold up as American greats, American greats, great American citizens, so to speak. And it's a farce, my friends. It's a farce. Here's the next point. The corollary from Sunday and Tuesday's message up here on the board on this topic of Christian love. Living for others doesn't mean doing the best you can for them from your own perspective it means doing the best you can for them while considering their perspective that's a flip for most people most people have a certain set of goggles that they wear it's called their own viewpoint on life if it didn't happen if it's never happened to me then it's impossible to happen it doesn't exist I can only understand the world I'm only willing to stretch to the boundaries of my own existentialism Put it that way my own existence but i'm unwilling to step outside of that and look at something from someone else's perspective that is a selfish person's approach to living that is a person that is their own lord their confidence dwells in themselves they don't have time to be selfless you see this change of perspective requires discipline, integrity, and humility. It's why uh, sanctification takes so much time. On Sunday and Tuesday, uh, those three words, discipline means you must train yourself to practice thinking of others first because it's unnatural. Uh, Integrity means that when you evaluate a circumstance, it's honestly and with a biblical standard. And then humility, whatever the spirit convicts you of, you abide in it. You don't go, la, 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 la. You don't do that thing. Go to 1 Corinthians 9 22. 1 Corinthians 9 22. 1 Corinthians 9 22. When we direct ourselves, how is this all dovetailing together? When, when the Lord is our confidence, we become selfless. Does that make sense? No longer are we having to be our own confidence which drives us to selfishness. When the Lord is our confidence, we are able to be set free and be selfless. And we leave our own provision up to the Lord. We're not afraid of not having enough to eat or having enough to whatever. 1 Corinthians 9.22 To the weak, Paul said, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. You see the flexibility of Paul the shepherd there. Seeing someone else in the faith lay down their life for others is inspiring in so many ways. So on the topic of inspiration, uh, we settled on this a little bit on Sunday. And uh, I'll, I'll challenge you this way to think about this critically this topic of being inspired by other people, because it's a real important topic, and I think a lot of people can be confused about it. Um, How many times in your life do you meet a person who truly inspires you? At the highest level, I believe this is a rare occurrence, and I'm talking about someone who truly moves your soul. That doesn't happen very often. Um, However, i'd argue that everyone hearing my voice right now is inspiring in some way everyone hearing my voice right now is inspiring in some way i'd also argue that most of you don't even know the full extent of your own inspiration for others here's a few ways in which all of you have inspired me over the years And I'm going to mention people by name. You notice I was poking around before class. I wanted to see who was here. I'm only mentioning those present. Andrea, humility in shedding old religion. It's inspiring to me. Joey, ability to overcome childhood and wartime tragedy. Leo, willingness to swim upstream. Monica, resemblance of Peter. And your resilience. Lois, authority orientation. Alice, why are you not in your seat? What's going on, Alice? You, you changed seats, now you're back there. I had this whole thing worked out. You know? Alice, her inability to make up her mind. I'm just kidding. That's not inspiring. Sorry. Alice, surrender to Jesus as Lord, not just Savior. And pulling up your bootstraps and supporting your husband, Don. John, Gardner, the steadiness of your love and faith. Pat, your quiet impact on others. Paula, your unerring love for your husband. Jim, your incredible gift of encouragement. Brenda, transparency of love. What you see is what you get, baby, right? And your deviled eggs. Billy, your faithfulness in seeking dogmatic truth. Kathy, if you, she's back there. Perseverance through illness. Todd, your strength and conviction in the Lord. Christian over here, standing apart from your peers. Lydia, your faithfulness to Jesus. And you have five kids. <laughs> Scotty G, amazing heart for Christ and others. Anthony, solemn, no-frills assurance of faith. Did I forget anyone? By no means is this list exhaustive. I only listed those of you present, and I only listed one area that popped into my mind for each of you. The point is to reveal to you how each one of you inspires me, your pastor maybe you've never thought of it but i meant every word i said and frankly if i had more time i would keep going on and on and on please don't ever believe that inspiration is a one-way street for example from you know shepherd to sheep only trust me it goes both ways and for that i am very grateful sadly I think the topic of inspiration can be confusing to some. Sort of like being, I'll call it, gun-shy, about allowing inspiration to come through others rather than solely from Christ, theoretically speaking. In other words, he's not, He is our ultimate inspiration. Amen but he's not the only one we're christians we're his he's in us i think what we all need to remember is that god shows us grace through instruments of righteousness also known as others so i want to review that passage from sunday where god certainly wants us to be inspired go to first samuel 17:32 First Samuel seventeen thirty two. First Samuel seventeen thirty two. Hey, I wonder if little David's miffed. He said, like, what about me? 1 <laughs> Samuel 17, 32. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep, When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. As we noted on Sunday, the secret to David's courage was faith in God. More specifically, the coexisting truth of abiding in faith, namely, the existence of divine love. As Paul wrote up here on the board, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 13, it just crashed on me again, but that's okay. 1 Corinthians thirteen, thirteen. but now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Go through the motions, D.J. David loved the Lord. Again, verse 13 from 1 Corinthians 13 reads But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So, what's the deal with David? Why is he so inspiring? What gives him this unbelievable, almost unparalleled courage? He loved the Lord. Ta da! Imagine that. Imagine what you could do. Uh, Did you not see David's confidence in the Lord? Where do you think it all came from? What was the wellspring? He's just a little guy, a little young guy. It didn't come from himself. It came from his faith in the Lord. His confidence was in the Lord. He said, whatever you ask of me, Lord, I'll do it. I mean, because it's your good work. I mean, if this guy's taunting you, it's your good work. He's going he's to be the one that loses, obviously. David loved the Lord. Think about it this way. There was nothing about David that set him apart from any one of us other than this one point. Nothing truly. No other wellspring that he was drawing from other than he loved the Lord. Everything about him, all the way from his notable humility to his faith and faithfulness was rooted in love for the Lord God. The Lord was everything to David. That's what makes anyone in human history special in this way. And I have special in quotation marks because there's really nothing special other than a person's love for the Lord. It's also what we believers find most inspiring is it not that's my that is the most inspiring thing of all when I see someone who truly loves the Lord I was thinking about this and I invite you to do the same I was thinking about those believers that I admire so much and the common thread among all of them is their unbridled love for the Lord they don't even have to be the most educated. Most of the time they, they have no little or no formal education. They just love the Lord. They read their Bible. Their, their intentions are good. Their motivation is good. They just want that relationship with their Lord to remain pristine in their life. And a lot of these people have to deal with all kinds of craziness and all kinds of dysfunction. Spouses that are out of control, children that are out of control, uh, circumstances that are just blowing up in their faces uh, every day. But they love the Lord. And that always shines through. So it's true, they all have different, unique personalities. But my personal affection for these people is based on what I see in terms of their love for Christ. The more we get to know a person, the more we see Christ in them, assuming they are a believer. That's why my advice for single people, looking for marriage someday is always the same. Look for Christ in the other person. If you don't find him, introduce them to him and drop the notion of courting them for the time being. They're not ready. The Bible says they are not for you. If you're single and you don't see Christ in another person, that should be the last person you're trying to court, the last person you're thinking about marrying, and you certainly shouldn't be dating them. Back to our previous point. The more we get to know a person, the more we see Christ in them, assuming they are a believer. Up here on the board. We love because we know. That is 1 John 4, 16-19 our confidence comes from our knowledge of the holy one go to 1 john 4:16 1 john 4:16 we love because we know and i've only got like 4 minutes <clears throat> 4 minutes left that should be good for about another 3 or 4 crashes giddy up we love because we know 1 john 4:16 We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Don't you love that? You abide in the sphere of love. That other fear, that ungodly fear, gets squeezed out. The sphere of love is where the fear of the Lord is. It's the same sphere. And there's no room for that other fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts that thing out. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected or matured in love. We love because he first loved us. We love, to the point on the board, we love because we know Him. This truth extends even beyond our love for God. We might rightly say, we love each other because we know each other. To Scott's point on Tuesday, and I think most of you relish this statement I'm about to make. We are a family. I think most of you understand that by now, and most of you relish it. And I think most of you love the idea that you've been brought to a family a godly family where you have real brothers and sisters forever and ever we're going to be together think about that for all of eternity somebody like uh-oh but think about that is that not magnificent that's magnificent we get to we get to know and love each other now we get to get to know each other now from all different walks of life we get to come together in a in a, in a time like this in a place like this on a thursday evening when the rest of the world is doing God knows what? Running away in fear from God knows what today? Drinking away, drugging their way through life, because they have no happiness, no peace, no nothing? We are a family, and I know most of you love this idea, as you should. Furthermore, as this came out on Tuesday, we love good fathers in our family because we see christ-like caring from them and it comforts us we also love our brothers and sisters in christ because we share a unified heart each of us gifted this way by the grace of god and from this environment trust begins to flourish and grow i mean i can see it at the food table back there don't look i'm always paying attention I can see in the food table back there, I can see it on the couches over here, I can see it as you sit next to each other that a certain trust with each other, a love, a familial attitude begins to flourish and grow. It's a whole new economy, one that Jesus spoke of when he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. When trust is the baseline of our relationships within a group, the dynamic shifts from living selfishly to living for others. That brings us all the way back to this principle, and then I'm going to close, Christian love. Again, let me repeat what I just said, though. When trust is the baseline of our relationships within a group, you're never going to trust somebody you don't know. The dynamic shifts from living selfishly to living for others, and that, my friends, is the hallmark of Christian love. The hallmark of Christ-like love is selflessness. In every way this remains true, in every interaction, it is the, the driving force. It lives for others. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this evening. Thank you for reminding us of our family. Thank you for reminding us that we have brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. And thank you for giving us the time and the place to fellowship together, even on a night like this one. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message and what we've actually learned and we take back to our homes. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name, by the power of the Spirit, amen. Thank you.